Turn to Mark chapter 2, and today we're talking about the priorities of Jesus. And so um, I want to read through this passage, and then we're going to jump back through four things to tell you, three questions to ask you, and then we'll go on our way, all right? Mark chapter 2, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, now he being Jesus, all right, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, we're going to make sense of that, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in the spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, uh, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. So, we know, we know because of the historical accounts, and remember, uh, we talked about the Gospels last week, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how they're all written, right, by four different authors and, and recorded, and all, each of them kind of has a little bit of a special flavor. Mark is more known kind of for what he leaves out of his Gospel as for what he leaves in, but we do see this story in other Gospels. Mark was kind of short and sweet and to the point, rapid fire, a lot of information, but we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth, right? But now we see that Jesus was home. Capernaum was his home and kind of his headquarters during his Galilean ministry. Simon Peter, one of the initial disciples, also lived in Capernaum. Now, what I want you to picture here, Kristen and I had the opportunity to go to Israel about 15, 16 years ago, and when we got to Capernaum, it was one of the more fascinating stops on the trip, right? Because I picture Capernaum as being this place, I picture this house where Jesus is, right? As this, you know, like, 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 a, like a normal, you know, house today, right? I mean, you know, 12, 1500 square feet, right? I mean, I, I don't know, right? I mean, what's, what's average square footage today? Any real estate agents, right? But like, but, but as you looked over Capernaum, it's it's all uh, there, there's there's no buildings anymore, but they have rocks. They kind of have um, rocks stacked up. What do you call them um, when you're hiking? But about three four feet high to outline and to trace what this city would have looked like back in the days of Jesus. And the houses were small. Like on, I mean, from from blue cinder block to blue cinder block is about forty three to forty five feet. Don't ask me how I know that. Anyway, right? But forty three to forty five feet, you would probably have about three to four houses in Capernaum fit in this width of space. So when we read here that the uh, that, that that Simon Peter was from there, it was his home. It was more than likely Jesus' headquarters during his ministry. It was his home where Jesus was of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, but kind of set up shop in Capernaum, right? When we read that this house was full when these four got there with their friend who was a paralytic, right? We're not talking about even as many people as we have here. 
right? We probably we might have one. 14, 115 or so in, in this room right now, right? We could probably fill four or five houses with the number of people that we have right here in Capernaum, okay? And so not taking anything away from the story, but just to give you a little bit of a picture of what we're talking about, right? That Peter would have lived there um, uh, as well in Capernaum, right? Um, when they found that Jesus where Jesus was, the packed house, standing room only, people huddled around the doors and windows to see and to hear Jesus because they heard his reputation has already uh, uh, preceded him, that people wanted to hear his message. People wanted to hear what he was doing. He had already turned water into wine at this point, even though Mark doesn't record that miracle, right? We know that Jesus has already recorded some miracles and uh, his reputation was starting to get out. But not everyone was in this house for the right reasons. Not everyone was in this house for the right reasons. Anybody, don't raise your hand, right? But anybody ever gone to church for the wrong reasons? Again, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand, right? Think back to youth group, think back, right? Anybody ever gone to church for the wrong reasons? Again, don't raise your hand. But, but what we know, right? Some were there because they believed Jesus to be the long-awaited Messiah King, right? Others were not sure of what was happening. They weren't sure about the rumors that they were hearing. They wanted some more evidence. Still others were just there to see the wonder worker do his thing. And then in verse 6, it tells us that the scribes, the Pharisees, were also present. And what they were doing there was they were hoping to catch Jesus saying something or doing something that they could use to discredit him. Right? But the competing motivations of the crowd didn't move Jesus. The competing motivations of the crowd, they didn't move Jesus. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's what Jesus did, right? Yet the last thing that many of us know is what we put first, right? We're prone to impose our mixed up priorities onto Jesus. We're prone to kind of twist and treat the gospel and the Bible like a buffet just to kind of put our agendas forward, but the priorities of Jesus, and this is what I want us to learn as we look at Mark over these next few weeks, but the priorities of Jesus will not change, and here's the big one, can't change. The priorities of Jesus can't change. Jesus always prioritizes the eternal over the temporary. Jesus always prioritizes the eternal over the temporary. So today, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Is that all right? What do you want first? All right, we're going with the good news. I heard somebody say good news right there. The good news, right? The good news is that your bad days, how many of you have bad days? Okay, good. You're like me. All right. The good news is that your bad days won't last forever. Right? But the bad news is that your good days won't last forever. Right? Anybody got good days? Less of you. Okay, wow. That's telling. Right? All that pleases and troubles is but for a moment. Nothing is important except that which is eternal. Jesus always prioritizes the eternal over the temporary. And so this morning, as we look at this story in a little bit greater detail, right, as we dig into this, I want you to see the priorities of Jesus, right? Anybody in here struggle with priorities? 
right? Knowing what to do and when to do it and what order to do it. You've got 12 things to do. You're only going to get two of them done. Which are the two most important, right? Right? And, uh, and so I want us to look at the priority of Jesus. And the first thing that we see here is that Jesus responds to the presence of the crowd, right? Jesus responds to the presence of the crowd. Look at verses 1 and 2. When he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. Now, this is the way it ought to be. Like every time I read this, and this is, this is one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, right? Every time I read this, I'm moved by the excitement and even the skepticism in the room. Right? Like, I'm, I'm moved by that. Right? Because, because if God is in the, the house, right, He's going to deal with the skepticism. Right? If God is in the house, He's going to bring understanding as he, as he wills. Right? And so I'm always moved by the expectancy of the people filling the house just to be around Jesus. Right? I got to see a little taste of that expectancy this morning. Last Sunday, we were tearing down and we had a little helper, Stephen Willette, back here. And, uh, and you got to be careful what you say to kiddos, right? But, um, but last, last Sunday, Stephen was, was helping us tear down the screen, doing a great job. And he said, hey, I want to come help you set up. And I said, I'd love to have you come help us set up. You want to get here at 7.30 in the morning next Sunday? Well, guess what? I pulled into the parking lot this morning. Who was here? Jen Willette. Why? Dropping Stephen off. Jen didn't stay. I want you to notice this, right? I want you to notice this, okay? Right? But Stephen gets out of the car. He comes walking over to me, right? He says, I got my mom's gloves on, right? He was all proud. He had his mom's gloves on to keep his hands warm. And we started walking around the building because our key fob doesn't unlock these doors, which would be really easy. And they've tried to fix that three or four times. But every time they go into the computer system and try to fix it, it still doesn't work. So we have to walk around the building and come in this door back here with the key fob because that's what works. And if we go in the front door, it sets off the alarm, which we learned on the first Sunday that we had church here. And we don't want to set off the alarm because as nice as the police officers are and the facility staff at the school system, they don't need to be here at 715 on Sunday mornings to, to greet us and to turn off the alarm, right? So we come in this door and it works, right? And so Stephen walked around, right? I got to hear everything that he did yesterday, detail by detail, word for word, right? After he saw me yesterday, he lost a tooth, right? Just ask him, he'll show you, right? And, and right, I got to, got to learn all of these things about Stephen this morning, but guess what? He was here, he was excited, and he was, in, he was anticipatory, he was expectant, right, at the opportunity to to help us set up all oh, the childlike faith that is unscarred and unbruised by church mess, right? And is just excited to be in the house of the Lord, right? What an inspiration, right? What an inspiration. I told you, Jen, he might make the sermon. He did, right? We expect to see you next Sunday, Jen. Anyway, <laughs> right? But the expectancy, and we, all, we, have a saying, we have a saying around here, right? That God will meet us at the level of our expectation, right? And that's huge. That's huge. Because as you think about this, right, and, and in, all the, in all the workout videos and tutorials and books that you, that you might read at, at the beginning of the year and all those things, when it gets tough, right, when it, when it gets hard, when you don't want to exercise anymore, remember why you started, Right? That's ridiculous. 
Because that doesn't, that doesn't help me when I'm 30 burpees in and I've got 70 to go, right? It doesn't help me. I just want to quit and go sit on the couch and say, better luck next January, right? But it's huge. Remember why you started. Remember why you're here. Remember, remember when you first gave your life to Jesus, what that experience was like, what that feeling was like, the anticipation, right? The, the excitement around the fact that you knew and you had come to know and God had revealed himself to you, made himself real enough to you to give, your, to give you the, his son, right? That you would have hope and that you would have life and that you would have it eternally, right? And then you had three types of people. Again, some people were here at this house because they were excited and they, they wanted to be around Jesus, right? They wanted to be around Jesus. They were, they were going and they, they, just, they just had to be with him because they had faith already. They believed that he was who he said he was, that he was going to do what he said he was going to do, right? And they trusted him already. You had some who were, who were almost there, right? But they were on the fence, right? I kind of, I'm kind of into this, right? But the music's good, and that's why I go, right? I mean, like, they're kind of into it, but they're still sitting on the fence on the whole Jesus thing. And then you had other people there, and, and we've had people over the, over, the, over the years that have come to, to South Coast and then Summit that, that have had this type of mentality, right? I'm here because I want to catch you. I'm here because I want to disprove this thing. I'm here because, because, because I just want to know that my skepticisms and my, and, and, and my beliefs are the real thing, and, get, and those are the people that usually end up coming up at the end of the service weeping and saying, I thought this when I got here and now I believe this, right? It's awesome. It's awesome. But each one of those, right, are in the house and guess what? They're expectant for something, right? They're looking for something. And the, and the, and the struggle that, 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 that I feel for us, right, for us in 2022, right, is that we come on Sunday mornings and we're not really sure why we're here. That we're just coming because it's what we do. That we're just coming because, you know, the, the, the old, right, the cliche, the whatever, right, the thing that everybody always says, right, we're just checking a box. We're not searching for anything. We're not, we're not seeking to worship right? We're, but we're just, we're just coming. We're just coming because this is what we do on Sunday mornings, right? And if that's you, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to slap your hand this morning, right? But my prayer for you is that you would see that whatever mentality, whatever expectancy level you're walking in here with this morning or next Sunday morning or last Sunday morning or a month from now on Sunday morning, right? God wants to meet you, like, God wants to reveal Himself to you. God wants to give you hope. God wants to silence fears. God wants to put, give you rest. Right? God wants, to, God wants to touch you. God wants to heal your heart. God wants to forgive you. God wants to love you. And He's gone to great lengths to do so. He responds to the presence of of the crowd. How does he respond to the presence of the crowd? He was preaching the word to them. Jesus didn't put on a show for the crowd, right? He didn't put on a show for the crowd. The church often tries to draw people by unworthy means today, don't we? 
right? Church advertisements, spotlighting charismatic preachers, right? They get excited and excellent music and multiple programs, impressive facilities that the that the, the school built, um, and fun activities, right? All, all of these things, all of these things, and don't miss the point here, don't miss the point, right? That, that, that we try to figure out how to draw people in and attract a crowd without mentioning Jesus. And so here's, here's the warning, right? Here's the warning. None of those things are necessarily bad, right? As long as we keep Jesus, which, remember, is the whole reason for the thing, at the center. Right? And so as long as, as long as we keep the main thing, the main thing, those things aren't bad. But Jesus responds to the crowd by preaching the word to them. Why? Because that's why he was there. Right? And those were, there were those there to be entertained by the wonders that Jesus performed. Um, by the time the crowd left, they were all amazed, right? And so that, that, that happened for sure, but that wasn't Jesus' agenda. Jesus wanted those who were present to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so He preached the Word to them. In Mark chapter 1, we didn't go here last week, but Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons. Then he went to a desolate place to pray. Simon, Peter, and the others came hunting down, and when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you, right? They were, they were, they were, they were, they were church growth specialists, so to speak, consulting Jesus on how to do ministry. The name of Jesus had become prominent. The works of Jesus had become publicized. The ministry of Jesus had become popular, and they thought Jesus should strike while the iron is hot. Everybody's looking for you. Come, we can, we can make a name for this thing. Build on his momentum. Take advantage of the opportunity. Instead, Jesus wanders off into the wilderness to pray. And Simon and the others around him, they were dumbfounded. Everyone is looking for you. Where have you been? What are you doing? Why are you letting this opportunity slip away? And Jesus just answers, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. The priorities of Jesus are exercised through biblical preaching. And so, and so my question for you here is, why are you here? Right? What are you looking for? And my warning for us, right, is are we the Pharisee that are just trying to catch Jesus, right? Or are we the numb Christian that is just looking to be entertained now? The second thing that we see Jesus do is that Jesus responds to the faith of the guys on the roof. This is so powerful. Look at verses 3 through 5. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they couldn't get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, underline that, star that, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's a lot we have to unpack here in these, in these three verses. All right, everybody with me? You good? All right, you warm? Okay, very good. Thank you for your honesty. As Jesus was preaching the word to the packed house, five nameless men arrived. One was a paralytic, 
Was he born this way? Did he become paralyzed by some tragic event? Was his paralysis the result of the sin? We're not told. We have no idea. The text only tells us that four men carried this paralytic to Jesus. Now, a couple things I want you to notice about these four guys. The guys on the roof loved their friend. Can we agree with that? They loved their friend. And, and we don't even know the details of their relationship, right? Were they family, right? How long had they known him, right? What was, what was the details of his paralysis, right? We don't, we don't know that. The text doesn't even call them friends, but their actions make it clear that they had a special relationship with this guy. They carried him to Jesus. And in our day, a person with a paralysis can live with relative independence, right? They can live with relative independence today. There are tools, there are resources around that can help someone but that was not the case in Jesus' day. Without assistance, a paralytic was help, helpless. John 5 records the story of a crippled man that lay by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years because no one could help him in the pool. No one would help him in the pool. But this man had four friends who cared enough to help him overcome his condition. The second thing I want you to know is that these guys believed in Jesus. They loved their friend, and they trusted Jesus. Now, the history lesson, right? And, and I know, I know, I know some of you are like, well, did that really happen? Do the research. It's really fascinating, okay? The houses had flat roofs in this time that would have been made of wood planks covered with branches uh, and mud and, 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 and different things like that. Accessed by a ladder, these roofs were more than likely used as like patio decks, right? But the texture would have been more like that of mud, right? And so, and so you, you kind of get the imagery here of them digging a hole through the roof, right? And, and, and how did the whole roof not fall in on the whole crowd? And wasn't this a safety issue? And should they have not have, you know, followed um, code and different things like that when they, right? Like all questions that, that, that we don't know and that really don't matter in the story. But what we do know is that the stretcher bearers, bearers excuse me, carried the paralytic up a ladder, right? Dug through the roof and lowered the paralytic at the feet of Jesus, the determination here is inspiring, is it not? The determination here is inspiring. I've shared this, I've shared this story many times, and I've always talked about how, you know, our kind of our kind of Nintendo generation, once you kind of reach a part where you once you once you reach a point where you can't, you know, kind of beat the guy at the end of the level or something like that, what do you do? You just press reset and you try again. Right? And, so, and so I've always kind of pictured this moment where if, if, if I'm the friend, right? If I'm the friend and I get there and I see the, the house packed, right? I don't even necessarily think of another option of climbing on top of the roof and digging a hole and lowering this person before Jesus. I'm probably looking at the guy saying, hey, better luck next time. We'll check his tour dates and figure out where he's going. We'll try to get you to the next stop, right? A little sooner. But these four were determined they were determined. And, and so they finally, they lowered, him, they lowered him through the roof, right at the feet of Jesus, right? Hello, distraction, right? Like, I mean, I mean, preachers don't like getting distracted these days, hint, hint. 
right? But Jesus isn't bothered by this distraction, right? This man's lowered right in front of him while he's preaching the gospel to a full house, to a packed house. And what does he do? He looks at the man on the mat. No doubt he notices the four on the roof. And he looked and said, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because of the guys on the roof's faith. Right? Because they didn't quit. Because they cared enough about this paralytic to do whatever it took to get him before Jesus. To get him before Jesus. Listen, listen, I fear, I fear for our church today, for the church of Jesus Christ today in 2022. I'm going to get that, I promise. Right? That we would rather pay a parachurch ministry to do the job of lowering the paralytic through the roof than to do it ourselves. Because we can't be bothered outside of Sunday morning. We can't be bothered outside of, outside of, outside of the, the small group that we've committed to. We can't be bothered. We give the time that we give and no more. Let me tell you something. That is not the life of the believer. Every time I read this book, I see if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Guess what that means? My priorities are always second to God's. Well, pastor, that doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't matter. I'm sure the cross didn't feel good. But he did that for you. And my prayer is that, and listen, you may think, wow, pastor has gone off the rocker in 2022. It might be true. My prayer is that as we look across this room at the family of Summit, there is not one that you would not be willing to climb the ladder, carry on top of the roof, dig a hole, and lower him before Jesus. And I believe that looks differently now. I believe that looks differently now. But we're not going to get into that because we've got too much to do. Okay? We got too, we got, y'all are too distracting right now. Okay? The presence of the crowd could not stop them. The potential anger of the homeowner, because, I mean, think about that, right? This, you're, you're, you're the homeowner. You're sitting there listening to Jesus. Right? You're the VIP. You got Jesus to come into your living room. Right? And then all of a sudden, dust starts falling. And a hole starts appearing in your roof. And you're, and you're looking at Jesus saying, hey, are you going to tell them to fix this thing? Insurance going to cover this thing? Like, I mean, what's the deal? Right? They weren't bothered by that. Right? The, the possibility of a rebuke from Jesus, right? Because who knew how Jesus was going to respond, right? Their friend had a need that only Jesus could meet. And that was the only thing that mattered in that moment is that they had to get him to Jesus. Do you have loved ones whose lives are in paralysis? Might not be physical, but nonetheless, they're impaired, they're broken. My question for you this morning, do you believe that Jesus can help them? Then grab the end of your stretcher, tear off the roof, and let's go. Do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus.
the reaction of Jesus. Jesus, again, he didn't get angry when these men interrupted his message to lower the paralytic. He saw their faith. Now, this is important, right? This reference to faith may include the paralytic who's on the stretcher, but we don't know that for sure. It focuses on the guys on the roof. Jesus saw their faith. It was evidenced by what he did, not by anything they said, because we don't hear, we don't read that these guys said anything right? There is a popular but false teaching that claims faith-filled words create reality, right? That you can manifest something, right? But Scripture emphasizes that faith is seen way more than it's heard. And the profession of faith does not assume the possession of faith. James 2, the half-brother of Jesus, 17, says this, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, and so these stretcher bearers had a living faith. And even, the paralytic, uh, even if the paralytic didn't believe, which, which, which I'm convinced he didn't because of what Jesus healed first. But anyway, let's keep going. Verse 5 says that when Jesus saw their faith, he addressed the paralytic. And Jesus addressed him with tender words. He said, my son. Now, this isn't a statement about his age. It's a term of endearment, right? We see that all throughout Scripture. First John uh, talks, talk, has that language, right? My, my, my little children, my little children, my little children. It's a, it's a term of endearment, right? Because Jesus cared about the man like a, fa- a loving father cares for a troubled son. And then Jesus addressed him with targeted words. My son, your sins are forgiven. Now, why did they bring the paralytic to Jesus? It's not a trick question, I promise. To be what? Healed. Good job. Pat yourself on the back. Okay, right? And I don't know if the guys on the roof knew this or not, because again, we don't, we don't know a lot about them, right? But what did Jesus heal first? Their greatest need. His heart. Some of you know... Um, some of you know that, uh, that, that Kristen and I, we, we, we get the opportunity, my family, and, and, and then and so uh, over the last couple of years of the church, right, we, we get the opportunity to do a lot of disability ministry, right, with Johnny and Friends and other, other ministries where we go around and, f- and minister to folks with disabilities. And, and, and this, is, this, is, this is a message that I'll often share. You know why? Because one of the biggest things that I've learned in disability ministry is that I... I have a disability. And you do too. Whether it's physical or not, each and every one of us has a disability, and it's called a sin issue. And it's a disability that only God can heal, and it's the one that Jesus chooses to heal first of this paralytic. He looks at the the guys on the roof, and he looks at the guy on the mat, and he looks at him and says, Son, again, term of endearment, showing his love and care, just like a loving father to a son, right? Son, your sins are forgiven. And what he had done there, right, what he had done there was twofold that we're about to talk about, right? Number one, he ticked off the Pharisees, right? Because they're about 
about to drag him through the ringer. They are so pumped because they have just seen what they came to see, something that they could trap Jesus with because only God can forgive sins and they didn't know about the deity of Jesus yet, right? And so they were pumped. But also, we see that there's there's still a paralysis. There's still a physical disability here, but Jesus healed what was most necessary first, his heart. And that is, that is what I'm convinced is the biggest hurdle, the biggest speed bump to salvation today is that we live as though we don't need God. What have you done in the last week, in the last month, that would not have happened without God? What has He accomplished in your life that would not have been possible? Now, I submit to you, and we're not going to unpack this today. I think Zan's going to go into this a little bit next week, but I don't want to speak for him. So if, if he does, and I'll be listening to the message, and I'll, I'll, I'll come hit it, right? I would submit to you that anything good that comes from me is from God. Anything good, anything good that I do, right? And we got to put good in quotes, right? Anything good that I do, right, is from God. I was, I was at a basketball game yesterday and, and somebody, somebody came. Let's keep going. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Warren Wearsby says this, Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need, it costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessings and the most lasting results. The greatest blessings and the most lasting results. So Jesus responds to the crowd. How? By preaching the gospel. He responds to the guys on the roof. How? By forgiving this man's sins. And then the third way that Jesus responds is he responds to criticism. Let me ask ask you something. Anybody in here like criticism? Okay, good. I'm just, just making sure. Paul's back there like, maybe, a little bit, maybe. Okay, bless you, brother. Right? Mark doesn't tell us how the paralytic or the stretcher bearers responded to Jesus' announcement of forgiveness, the fact that he forgives his sins. He instead turns his attention to the scribes, to the Pharisees. Now, what you've got to know about the scribes is they were the theological scholars of the day. And when they heard Jesus declare the paralytic sins forgiven, verse 6 says that they were questioning in their hearts, right? Because they're, they're, they're seeing something now, right, that might not have been possible, Right? Questioning something in their hearts. When we speak of the heart today, metaphorically, we refer to the emotions. But in Scripture, the heart symbolizes the intellect more than the emotions. The words of Jesus didn't make the scribes feel a certain way as much as it caused them to draw negative conclusions about Jesus. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, the assumed answer to this rhetorical question is no one. 
Right? The priest could declare a person's sins forgiven after he offered a proper sacrifice and demonstrated genuine repentance. But the priest only ratified what God had done. True forgiveness only comes from God. Isaiah 43 says this, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Forgiveness is God's business. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's demonstrating his deity, his godness, by responding to the unexpressed questions the the scribes asked in their hearts. Jesus didn't merely respond, he didn't really merely read their expression, excuse me, he saw their hearts. Matthew Henry said, God not only sees men, he sees through them. And Jesus knew what the scribes were asking in their hearts. And in verse 7 and 8, he answered their question with a question. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Now, that's a trick question, isn't it? Which is easier? Because forgiveness is a spiritual issue. No one could verify if Jesus truly forgave sins. And on the other hand, if it was easier for Jesus to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, Jesus could heal him. Jesus could heal him. And Jesus would have to pay for that forgiveness on the cross. So the scribes thought they had caught Jesus. But Jesus had really trapped them. Because either answer would have affirmed that Jesus was who he was before the crowd. Only God forgives. Jesus declared his true identity to the religious, establishing by confronting them with the fact that only God can heal sickness and forgive sins. And so, again, who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? And so then we get to verses 11 and 12. I say to you, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this. And so lastly, at the end of the story, we see Jesus respond to the need of the paralytic. Right? But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. In verse 5, Jesus gives forgiveness of sins. Here, Jesus gives assurance of forgiveness. We need both, right? Guilt will burden you down with forgiveness and assurance. Verse 12 says, The paralytic rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all. This was the man who was lowered through the roof on his bed. And I'm convinced that when 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 he folds up his cot and began to carry the thing that had been carrying him... Right? What a reminder of what God had done in that house. Right? It says they were all amazed. Their minds were blown. They knew that this was a God thing. So what did they do? They glorified God. Their worship was expressed in grateful praise. They said, we've never seen anything like this. This is why we worship Jesus. Because there's no one like Him. There's no one like Him. Listen, there's no door that Jesus can't open. There's no enemy that Jesus can't defeat. There's no need that Jesus can't meet. There's no pain that Jesus can't comfort. There's no problem that Jesus can't solve. There's no sickness that Jesus can't heal. There's no sin that Jesus can't forgive. And that's not prosperity gospel. That's just trusting in Jesus because He may not. Right? He may not. 
He chooses to do these things in His will. But there is nothing that you're facing today that is taking Jesus by surprise or that He can't handle. That He can't handle. And so my question for you is this. Who are you in the story? Right? Because there's three groups of people to me in the story. And there's, there's probably a couple more that we could pick out, right? right? Like the, the homeowner, right? The, who's, who's now got a hole in his roof, right? And so he's praying for no rain, right? And, and that, that type of thing, right? But the three groups of people that I want to focus on, and I want to ask you kind of where you land today, right? I want to ask you where you land today. Are you the, um, are, are you the Pharisee, right? Are you the scribe? Right, who is just, you know, you're you're skeptical, right? You're trying to you're trying to catch this whole thing, right? You're trying to you're trying to you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to you're trying to disprove this, you're trying to you're you know, just skeptical, right? Are you the paralytic this morning? That's just coming in the room, that's just coming in the house, right? You're broken, you're confused, you're frustrated, you're hurt, right? You have a disability, you have a sin issue that God needs to forgive. Right? Are you the paralytic in the room? Or thirdly, I want to ask, are you the guy on the roof? Right? Are you the guy on the roof? I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, if I'm sitting in your shoes, right? I want, to, I want to be the guy on the roof, right? I want to make sure that, that I can sit and say, I'm, I'm the guy on the roof, right? This is, this is the situation I'm dealing with. This is the person I'm carrying up the ladder right now. I'm in the process of digging the hole. I'm about to lower him before Jesus, and they don't have a clue about it, right? Are you the, are you the, are you the person on the roof, right? And so my, so my challenge for you is that if you are the Pharisee, if you're the skeptic, seek wisdom from above. James chapter 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Hear this, who gives it freely. But when you ask, don't doubt like a wind, like a wave tossed to and fro by the wind of the sea, right? Ask in faith with no doubting. And so if, if, you're, if you're the skeptic in the room here, let me, let me challenge you to something. Let me challenge you to something. Right? Ask with all confidence, with all faith, with all hope. God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. If you're real, reveal yourself to me. If you're real, reveal yourself to me. And open your eyes and see all the ways that God's trying to get your attention, because I believe That he just might be doing that. If you're the paralytic, can I challenge you with something today? Admit your need. Admit you can't do it all. Admit that you need Jesus to forgive your sin. Admit that you need help. Admit that you just might need four people. And for some of you, that terrifies you, doesn't it? It terrifies you that you might be laying on a mat and actually need four people to take time out of their day to come and carry you up a ladder and lower you before Jesus. And if you're sitting there this morning and that terrifies you because you don't want to inconvenience four other people, I pray that God humbles you. 
I love you, but I pray that God humbles you. That is the place where I've burned out. Is ignoring that I needed the help of others, like Pastor Rick, who's 25 today. And just tried to do it all on my own. And now you hear me say, I am capable of nothing good on my own. Because if I'm left to my own, I want what I want, and I want it now. Kristen, Kristen and I, sorry honey, I'm letting the cat out of the bag. All right, we're, we're doing this thing, we're doing this thing right now, whole 30-ish, right? And I'm not going to explain the ish to you, okay? We're trying to stick to a, a whole 30 thing right now. It's miserable. And, but I realized this year, this is like the eighth or ninth time Kristen has made me do the whole 30. And, and I realized this time why I hate it. Because y'all know food is my spiritual gift. And when you tell me that I can't put things into my body that I want to put into my body when I want to put them into my body, I rebel. I get angry. I get frustrated. And so I've realized that this whole whole 30 mess is a spiritual issue for me this month. Because I have to say no to myself. That's ridiculous. Now, come on, it might not be food for you. For some of you, it might be money. For some of you, it might be other stuff, right? But, but there's a control issue that we have, and we might actually need help with that. I have learned to see grapes as dessert. It is really sad in my house right now. But I'm into this thing. Plantain chips and guacamole for dinner last night. I was at Hannaford yesterday and I saw this guy get a bunch of wings and he had barbecue sauce and I knew what he was going home to do because 8.15 was coming and I knew he had a couple guys coming. He had ribs in his cart and I wanted to be like, bro, what time? You just tell me when to be there, right? <laughs> you just tell me when to be there. Honey, I got to run out. I got to run to the church. I forgot something, Right? <laughs> It's a spiritual thing, right? Why? Because we're putting limits on ourselves. Why? Because God designed us in such a way where we need boundaries. Where we need boundaries. And you may need some of that in your life if you're the paralytic. Right? Lastly, for the friends on the roof. For the friends on the roof. Don't quit. Stay faithful. You know, my biggest fear for the friends on the roof today is that the betrayal and the lack of appreciation make you climb down the ladder and get off the roof. But can I tell you something? A true friend on the roof isn't validated by the person that's lower before the feet of Jesus. Because we don't see that that man 
got up and turned around and looked up at the guys and said, thank you so much. He owed them his life, right? But we don't see that, right? These four that are unnamed, they're not in it for their name. They're not in it for their glory. They're not in it for the appreciation. They're not in it for the validation, right? Right? And so many times I hear, right? Well, I'm just, I'm just going to quit serving the church because they don't know that I'm there. We know you're there. We know you're there. We miss you. Trust me. If I, trust me, if I could get around to each and every one of you and preach shorter so that each and every one of you weren't sprinting out of here to get to lunch because you're so hungry after a 50-minute message, right? I would touch every, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. But, but God help us if we've turned church and our church attendance and our church commitment into being conditional on the fact that you have a personal, deep, growing relationship with the pastor. That's not the point. I want you to have a personal, deep, growing relationship with Jesus because he's the point. And so don't make me your God. Either you're on the roof digging with me or not. Right? And I'm not trying to be insensitive, right? I want to be your pastor. I want to love you. If I'm going to be a pastor and a shepherd, I ought to smell like my sheep, right? All of those things. And I, I'll, I'm, I'm there, man. I want, to, I want to do that with you. Let me know. All of those things. But so many times we make our, our, our guys on the roof uh, mentality and condition conditional on, the, on, on too many things. Listen, it's very simple. Is it about Jesus and am I obedient to Jesus? Or is it about me? Is it about the things of God? Or is it about me? Is it about the people that need Jesus? Or is it about me? Right? And so who are you this morning? And I pray that you're challenged. And whether, whether you're any of wherever you are in the story, right? Wherever you are in the story. But you know who's constant in the story? Worship team, come on. The constant in the story is Jesus. The constant in the story is Jesus. Jesus still does a work. Jesus still does a miracle here. And this morning, I've been moved I heard somebody say this week, and, and I, I didn't, I've been moved just to the fact that I believe we need Jesus more than ever. More than ever. And then as I've thought about that this week, I thought, I'm not sure that's true. Because as I read the Old Testament, man, they needed Jesus. Man, they needed Jesus. As I, as I, as I, as I look at stories and history and, and, and think about all the things that they had to overcome, man, they needed Jesus back then. And as I look at us today and dealing with the, the challenges of the day and what we're dealing with and and, and what, what is this? What, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? All of those different things. I, I just thought, man, we need Jesus. And then when this is over, if it's ever over, right? Talking about COVID. 
right? Someone walked in my office this past week and said, I just don't want to talk about COVID anymore. I'm done talking about COVID. And, and I said, hey, are you called to people? And they said, well, of course I'm called to people. That's why I'm here. I said, well, maybe people need you to talk about COVID because that's the need that they need to meet right now. Have you ever considered that? And he looked back at me and said, I hate you, and walked out of my office. <laughs> I think we're good. I don't know. My point is this, right? Are we putting conditions around getting on the roof that aren't biblical? And that if Jesus were here, would say, hey, you're so worried about the temporary that you're missing the eternal. You're so worried about the temporary that you're missing the eternal. Let me tell you what I don't want the lost world to say of Summit Church. Because I believe Christians are getting a really bad rap right now on how we're handling this pandemic. And we're all doing it in the name of Jesus, in the name of the gospel. Right? I've talked to so many people that don't go to church that have, would never step foot in a church yet. Right? Growth mindset. Praying for them. Right? That I said, wow, you're, you're one of those people. I'm really leery of the church these days and how they're handling this pandemic. Getting on the floor with people and loving people may be doing something that you don't want to do right now that's temporary discomfort so that Jesus can look at them and say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And Christian, hear me say that I love you, I care about you, but I think in many ways we're getting it wrong if we care more about what makes us comfortable and our freedoms and our rights than others meeting Jesus. So get on the roof. Put yourself aside and care about other people. Will you do that? Let's pray. God, the, the thing that is so challenging about your word is that it's challenging. And God, everywhere I look and every sermon I preach and every time I try to think of, well, yeah, but yeah, but where's the cheat here? Where can I get around this? But God, this morning I see that if I'm going to help brothers and sisters around me who need you, God, it's going to be challenging. God, it's not going to be about me. God, I'm going to have to do things that other people would probably laugh at. I'm going to make people upset because I'm trying to do the right thing or because I'm trying to do what you've asked of me or told me to do. And God, all of those things don't sound fun, but they're obedience. 
And God, the discomfort is temporary. And so I pray for each and every one of us this morning, first of all, that we wouldn't live for the temporary, but we would live for the eternal. God, that we would say no to ourselves and say yes to you. And that, God, you would give us the strength to do so. And God, that if someone's in this room and they're the paralytic and they're on the mat this morning and they need you, God, I pray that they wouldn't leave here without hearing you say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And that they would pick up their mat, they'd take it home, and they would glorify you with their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.